This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Anyone see any demons recently? (laughs) Maybe a few? A few days ago, we held our annual Seijiki ceremony, Seijiki ceremony, here. How many of you were able to be here for that? Wow, okay, quite a few. Excellent. Did you uh, see some demons that night? I heard them. (laughs) Yeah, yes. So Seijiki ceremony, for those of you who may not know, is a Japanese uh, Buddhist ceremony that is held at a couple times during the year in the ceremonial calendar of of Japanese Buddhism. One is during the period of Obon, where the ceremony is held, along with lots of other ceremonies. Obon in Japan is a very large affair that spans many, I think maybe it's like a full week, at least a week of ceremonies. Um, the opening the throats of hungry ghosts and feeding them ceremony is what we did. That was the Sejiki part of it. And uh, it goes along quite well with our current practice period that we are studying uh, uh, Lojong practices of mind training. And in particular, right now, as we move through the different 59 slogans of Lojong, we're heading towards the part of the practice that is about transforming bad circumstances into good ones. And so there's a number of different slogans uh, associated with this particular point of the seven points of Lojong training which I wanted to get into a little bit here in this Dharma talk. But I also wanted to say a couple other things about where we are in this, uh, currently in the life of at Austin Zen Center, which is that we're in a membership drive. Can you tell? <laughs> we have our, our membership meeting. Uh, we had a membership meeting, uh, sorry, a uh, membership brunch earlier this practice period this fall, and we've been doing a pledge drive, uh, kind of a silent pledge drive, and um, it's interesting, I was telling uh, a friend of mine who's not part of the Zen Center, but who's a meditator, who I met for tacos this week, it's kind of describing the Sajiki ceremony and some of the preparations that went into it, and all the people who showed up and helped with the decorations and uh, the cooking and there's so much, the food, the spread that we had was just uh, incredible and um, yeah, all the effort and enjoyment that was held that evening. Um, the decorations, uh, please enjoy them while we still have them because I think they'll be coming down this weekend as we turn towards uh, uh, Darker days, cold, a little bit more cold and chilly. Speaking of which, I myself am uh, subject to, I think, the change in weather. Uh, I kind of took a uh, dive after Sajiki ceremony. Maybe it was all the, the demonic spirits that were running around. Um, 
But so I was meeting with this friend uh, for tacos and kind of describing the ceremony, and he said, wow, that really, that just, hearing you talk about that makes me feel like I, I really wish I had a community. I wish I, I belonged to something like that, where people got together and did things like through ceremonies for feeding their demons. Like, that sounds awesome. And I was like, well, you know, you can always come by. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, no, I'm not a joiner. <laughs> and actually, I think, you know, one thing I said to him was, you know, it's pretty typical, my, my understanding of American Zen, maybe it's American Dharma in general, but maybe it's, just a, maybe it's just American Zen. I don't know. Yeah, American Zen, I think, in particular, attracts a lot of introverts. And so I said to him, because he's a meditator, and I said, well, you know, you can come and belong to the community and never talk to anybody. <laughs> there are many people who come at six in the morning and they sit and stare at a wall. They don't even make eye contact with anyone. And they leave before there's any kind of, you know, interaction. And you'll totally fit in. <laughs> he's like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, um, so in this... Um, you know, it, it made me think about, you know, what is it about, um, you know, putting on a ceremony like a Sajiki ceremony. We put on lots of different ceremonies, including uh, we had a memorial service this past week right after the Sajiki ceremony for a, um, the father of one of our members who passed uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going to be having a wedding sometime soon, date to be determined, but... We have wedding, a wedding ceremony coming up. At some point, uh, we hope to have a baby naming ceremony here, which I don't know how many people have been to a baby naming ceremony before. It's quite a beautiful event of welcoming a, a baby into the Sangha and giving the baby a, a Dharma name. You know, they don't really ask for it, but... <laughs> um, <clears throat> But these ceremonies are ways in which uh, we come together and support one another. And places like the Austin Zen Center are here entirely uh, as a, a conduit or a, a mm, the way I see it is it's a, the temple is like a meeting place where people who have uh, aspirations to follow a particular set of precepts or um, um, of practices of waking up. And one thing that my friend also, who I don't think, he's not a Buddhist, uh, he's a meditator, he's not a Buddhist, but, you know, it, like what do, one of the things that's, I think, maybe not, not completely unique to Zen, but it's somewhat part of Zen practice, is that you don't take anything as, it's not very dogmatic, right? You're not required to like, you have to believe in this now. Right, I think that's that's part of, uh, and there's an open-endedness, and actually a, a request that you turn inward and look at yourself, and look at what comes up for you, right? And there's the famous Buddhist uh, uh, phrase from the Buddha, "Be a lamp unto yourself," and I think we take that pretty seriously. In all things considered, is that your understanding? Yeah. It's interesting, too, because when we hold a ceremony like the Sajiki ceremony, it's, it's dangerous business in a sense, right? We literally, like, part of the ceremony, there's a part of the chanting of the ceremony where if you look carefully at, like, what you're chanting, 
like what the meaning is, it says we're opening the gates of hell and, and letting the demons out. Right. And we're doing this in this big ceremony, and it's, you know, it's kind of dangerous business. Don't you think? In a sense, for one's own individual practice, what the request is of that is that you turn towards the parts of yourself that you've exiled because you don't like them, because you've been shamed for them, because they, uh, you've been judged, or they've been unwelcome in your life. And as an individual practitioner, it's kind of like you're, you're, um, you're really opening yourself up to look at some of these, these aspects of our personalities, of our karma, right? our conditioning, that are not so pleasant to look at. Now, how we do this, I think, is really important. And I think it really helps to have community in which we can support one another in doing that. Right? There's a light touch to it. There's a certain um, a way in which you have a stability and a foundation of awakeness, of vow, of intention and commitment that we want to walk, we want to be upright in our lives. And from that basic foundation, then we have the strength. And within, in, you know, we have strength in numbers. <laughs> we have this strength as a community that we're allowing ourselves to do this and we're going to support each other, right? But it's kind of scary because what if the demons come out and we can't, you know, put them back into the box, right? What if we act out in ways that we're then ashamed of or we get called out on? I've been reading about this, this thing called call-out culture. Yeah? And it's interesting because, yeah, like things that happen in the world in, on social media or online or especially in areas where there's an anonymous factor, it's, it's really, it seems like it's very, it can be very dangerous because the, uh, the consequences aren't the same. They can get really out of hand very quickly, especially when people say things and they don't have to actually sit across from the person that they're saying them to, right? So yeah, so this is, all of this has been in my mind in terms of this question of like, what does it mean to belong to community? What does it mean to sign up as being a member and saying, actually, I want to, you know, put my, my, uh, my effort, my energy into cultivating something alongside other like-minded folks who also want to cultivate those things. Namely, uh, in our case, what are we cultivating? Awakening compassion. Awakening, compassion. Sherry, we... Wisdom. Wisdom. A certain kind of wisdom, right? Understanding. Understanding. There's a slogan, so one of the slogans that I wanted to talk about today, this point that we're looking at, we're starting to turn to now in our practice period, is the transformation of bad circumstances into the way of enlightenment. So here are some of the slogans, I'll just read them. Uh, when the world is filled with evil, that's kind of a loaded term, but we'll, we'll take it for now. When the world is filled with evil, Transform all mishaps into the path of Bodhi. Bodhi meaning awakening. 
So in a world where things are chaotic, people may be acting pretty selfishly and causing lots of harm, how do we navigate? How do we ourselves practice? Well, transform all mishaps into the path of awakening. How do we utilize our unfortunate circumstances in ways that, uh, that lead to our waking up, to our true nature? How do we do that? Another translation of that from uh, that particular is just turn all mishaps into the path. The second slogan associated with this is sometimes called drive all blames into one or gather up all grievances into one. And it's a little tricky. It's a tricky one, I think, for people. It's kind of like take responsibility for whatever it is that happens in your life, even if it's not your fault. <laughs> or sorry, even if it is your fault or not your fault, both of them. Right? Basically drop fault and take on, just swallow whatever it is that happens and say, okay, this is, this is what's happening. How do I, um, how do I take it and, and not linger, but then uh, go forward from there? And uh, there was a great story that Norman talked about of, of this one in particular, talking about uh, an example of something that happened during a retreat when uh, they were eating together in the zendo in what we call orioki. The orioki uh, is where we have our little nesting bowls and people eat ceremonially in the zendo during those uh, breakfast, lunch, and supper. Okay, once in ancient China, an abbot was eating orioki style with the monks in the meditation hall. He discovered a snake head in his soup. This was not snake soup. <laughs> then monasteries are vegetarian. It was definitely a mistake. Probably a farmer or monk out in the fields hadn't noticed that he'd cut off the head of a snake while cutting greens, and the snake's head had found its way into the soup because the soup cook monk also hadn't noticed it. Such things happen even when you're practicing mindfulness and doing good organic farming and trying not to kill anything. Right? Mistakes happen. But a mistake is a mistake, and a mistake that ends up in the abbot's bowl is a mistake compounded. The abbot called the Tenzo, the head cook. Look, he held up the snake's head. And the Tenzo, without saying a word, snatched the snake's head and swallowed it. He didn't blame the farmer. He didn't blame the soup cook. He didn't make excuses. He didn't feel guilty or ashamed. That's the piece right there. He didn't feel guilty or ashamed. He ate the blame. It was probably very nourishing. So that's an example of drive, driving all blames into one or transforming negative circumstances into the path of awakening, right? So this Tenzo, this particular head cook in this example, there's lots of stories like this throughout all of the Zen literature. Um, but like not taking the blame, not, taking, not being guilty, not feeling uh, like <coughs> defensive, Right. How do we do that? How do we aspire to do that? And also, let me just say, how do we not blame ourselves when we can't? Because right? that's a big part of it as well. Because all of these mind trainings are practices. They're practices that we can open our hearts to, invite into our life, into our consciousness, see how it goes, notice when we um, 
you know, we botch it all up and, you know, end up feeling guilty or um, there's a residue, a sticky residue, or we feel, you know, our ego comes up and we can't, it's, it's untamable in that moment, right? All of those things, how do we continually put all of those things, compost them back into the soil and, and see what grows, right? How do we do that? So all of this is bringing things back into the path. Uh, the next one is be grateful to everyone. That's a nice one. Sometimes hard. <laughs> but again, as an invitation to practice. Right? And then slogan 14, which I think this is where I was coming to, which, uh, no, that's not it, the 15th one. The 14th is, Norman translates it, as see confusion as Buddha, and practice emptiness. Another way of putting it is seeing confusion as the four kayas, the bodies of Buddha, is unsurpassable shunyata protection, mm-hmm. emptiness. The kayas are dharmakaya, sambhogakaya, nirmanakaya, svabhavakaya. Thoughts have no birthplace, thoughts are unceasing. Thoughts are not solid, and these three characteristics are interconnected. So they have no origin. They don't have an end. They're not uh, fixed, solid things. They're not entities. They're not substantial. And that all those are interconnected characteristics. And emptiness is described as complete openness. So practicing with complete openness and not being afraid of being confused, not feeling like a failure for being confused. And then slogan 15, this is the one I was trying to get to, do good, avoid evil, appreciate your lunacy. <laughs> okay, appreciate your lunacy, or another way of talking of saying it is uh, make offerings to your demons. And then the fourth, pray for help. Or offer, uh, make offerings to your teachers or to, your, to the Dharma Palas, Dharma protectors. Right, so I'll say this again. Accumulating merit or basically doing good. Doing good things. Right, that's part of uh, a mind training is just do good things. Stop doing bad things. <laughs> make offerings to your demons. Actual, this is an actual practice, Tibetan practice, where you, um, you might make an offering of something that you uh, are struggling with. Maybe it's an addiction, right? To, there's, a, there's a particular deity, Mahakala, which is a fierce... Uh... Alfonso, do you have Mahakala? Mm-hmm. Six arms. Six arms. Very wrathful. Wrath, yeah, yeah, so like, ah, like really, you know, scary. Frightening, frightening demon, right? And you're, you basically make offerings to it as a way of like staying connected and instead of exiling or uh, repressing what your struggles are, right? How do you bring your struggles to light so that they aren't, they don't, you know, ride around in the darkness and pop their heads up like snake heads and bite you later when you least expect it? I mean, maybe they'll do that anyway, right? This was the Sajiki ceremony. In part, all of, this, all of the 
the preparation that we did and making all the food, right? This is all in honor of the fact that we are human, that we do make mistakes, that we have uh, inner demons or exiles, parts of ourselves that we'd rather not share with other people. Uh, we are sometimes ashamed of, right? And we try and kind of keep those parts in the basement, right? So what does it mean to make offerings to these uh, exiles, to these addicted parts, to these not so skillful conditioning that we may have? How do we, this is the tricky part, right? How do we make offerings um, and honor them, welcome them to a certain extent? You know, we don't give them the keys to the car and let them drive, right? That would not be a good idea. But how do we not just um, shame them, blame them, exile them? How do we do that? You could ask them what they want or need. Yeah, right? And so when we did the ceremony, we called them and we gave them some food, some nourishment. A lot of the practices that we're doing in this practice period in particular, but just in general, but a lot of the practices specifically to this practice period on Lojong mind training are um, kind of, there we do, you, you know, we employ visualizations, right? we may uh, issue wishes, or like the wish for, for example, this morning, our chanting. Every Saturday morning, we chant the loving kindness meditation. The whole meditation, the whole loving kindness chant is a wish, right? That we as a community are, with our voices, we are saying this wish together. Like, may all beings be happy, right? Does it have an effect? Do you have to believe it does to chant it? How does it feel internally when you make a wish for others' well-being? It's interesting in our... Um, we have a precept study group, and this past week we were looking at, uh, we're, we're reading uh, Rev Anderson's Being Upright book, and we're on the chapter of not being possessive. I think that's the chapter we're on. Not being possessive? Yes, not being possessive. And one of the things that Reb says in the book, he talks about how even taking on the, just trying out the visualization of giving something to somebody, who needs it? Just close your eyes right now and think of somebody who needs something and give it to them. It could be somebody you know. It could be a general group of people. But something, somebody you know, maybe. Somebody who needs something or could benefit from something. And imagine that you're able to just give it to them. He even says, imagine if you can't do that, imagine... Imagine that, that you're giving something that's not even yours. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of nice too, right? It doesn't even belong to you. Like a, like a view from a mountaintop, right? That doesn't belong to anybody. But you can imagine that you're giving something so, so lovely as a view from a mountaintop. Maybe it's down into, the, into a gulch with like a, you know, an ocean beyond the gulch. I'm thinking of like Green Gulch right now. Or imagine that you give something, there's a, um, in the Tenzo Kyokun, Dogen's Tenzo Kyokun, 
there's this one description of a uh, where he's talking about. Um, hmm, what's he talking about? The three minds, uh, the three minds of a tenzo of a head cook are joyful mind, magnanimous mind, and grand parental mind. The mind of being a grandparent, right? The mind of a grandparent is just like, oh, here's my grandchild. Let me give them things, <laughs> right? It's like this deep care. And in this fascicle, the, the, uh, in the Tenzo Kyokun, Dogen talks about the giving that is the unsurpassed giving of a six-year-old who happens to see a, I think it's a six-year-old, happens to see the king walking by and wants to make an offering to the king and happens to have nothing but sand around him, but he gathers up the sand and he gives it to him. Right? Precious. A precious gift. Right? It doesn't have to be great riches. Just an intention. Just to give a wish for well-being. It's completely transformative of one's mind state to be able to give the gift of well-being. May you be well. So these offerings that we give, obviously, some offerings, um, you know, we'd like to have our offerings actually reach the person that they are intended to reach. But even if they don't, just offering into the universe this intention of may, may, may so-and-so be free from suffering. May they have well-being. May their burdens be lifted. May the things that they're struggling with be resolved. That wish is incredibly powerful. So that's part of this particular mind training. And then the, the last one of this particular section of transforming bad circumstances into the path is very simple, which is whatever you meet is the path. Whatever it is that you're meeting. Oftentimes, this is very, this is very challenging, and, and this particular slogan has this aspect of um, turning on its head our usual way of thinking that we're being thwarted <laughs> when we can't get what we want or when... When even like I, you know, just even if you're doing work that's not for your own well-being, but like on behalf of others, right? Like doing Buddha's work. This is another uh, aspect of like, what does it mean to be doing Buddha's work, right? Working on behalf of all beings. Doing something that you know is going to be beneficial, right? Picking up litter is an example of this. Very simple thing. Just picking up trash that's on the ground, right? Where does that intention come from? You know, when you when you pick up something that something somebody has dropped, maybe accidentally, right? Put it in the litter bin. Another uh, translation of that is, if it's a surprise, meditate. Which is different from thinking about it. <laughs> Very important, right? Whatever you meet, unexpectedly join with meditation. Right? Norman's, uh, Norman's translation is much more general. Whatever you meet is the path. Okay. So, coming back to this idea of um, belonging, 
putting our attention and energy into a shared wish or a shared practice, making offerings as part of that practice, even making offerings to parts that are, uh, you know, how do we turn it around? Our, our usual way of identifying with our own ego, right? with our own self, our selfing. How do we turn this around and turn it around? And as a practice, it has to be practiced, put into practice. It's, you know, we can all think about it and think, oh, that's a good idea. But meditating on it, asking it into your life as, hmm, how, how will this manifest? How will I manifest these practices? Without thinking too much about it, but meditating on it, right? This, is, this distinction is important. To do this in a group of, with other people who may be struggling who may have, um, um, who sometimes have excess, have surplus, and who share it, and sometimes have need and receive it. Right? All of us, this describes the human condition. All of us sometimes have surplus, sometimes have, ex- have some kind of excess, and we share it. And sometimes we have needs, and we receive help. So that's, that's what I've been thinking about in terms of my friends, uh, you know, thinking about joining a community or being a member, the fact that we here are in this, uh, this membership drive, right? What does it take? What does it mean to be a part of a community, right? And the, the walls of the community, to allow the walls of the community to actually be porous, transparent. <coughs> People come and go into, you know, what we call like a, being a pledging member, right, to, to a center, to an organization, versus being a loose group of affiliated spiritual friends, right? There's lots of times when people come into a place like the Austin Zen Center and they get really active for a while, and then they, they fall away for, because of life circumstances. They're still members. They're still part of the community. Maybe they go away for years, and then they come back. And when they come back, what do we do? We welcome them. We don't say, where have you been? (laughs) Having been with us, yes, yes. And we do this in, in the way of just sitting, just sitting together. Even if we're not interacting, there's a, a sense of holding space for one another. Right? How many of you have been here in the early morning for sitting? Right? So the early morning sit, I think, has that, has that quality of, um, hmm, I don't know, how would you describe it for those of you who've been here in the morning? It's like a container. It's like a contain a container. It's like a container. It holds um, uh, so the the evening sit is great because at the, at the end of the day you're like oh, I just gotta sit and stare at a wall for forty five minutes. But at the at the morning it sets an intention for the whole day, mm-hmm. <coughs> and it's a container for that kind of 
mindful energy. I don't like mindfulness in that sense, but like a kind of like um, way of approaching the path through your day, mm -hmm. okay. such that you've set this intention through, through the container of coming and sitting with other people or by yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anyone else? It's got a sense of gravity to it. A gravity, like a weight? Like um, serious business. <laughs> serious business. It's a little somber, right? It's all dark. It's dark. I think that's the one thing. It's like it's dark in the room, and it's like just mostly candlelight. And you come in, and it's very quiet. And there's like hushed figures kind of moving around. Yeah. Yeah, a certain sense of, um, what did you say Not when you said the gravity? Weightiness. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Serious shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Life or death. Yeah, Bruce. I think there's uh, even more than the usual sense of intentionality about it because you really have to intend to get out of bed <laughs> and get here uh, in order to be here at that time. And also of transition. I, I most enjoy it, I think, when it's completely dark, when it's nighttime at the beginning mm -hmm. and, and light at the end. There's something about yeah. observing that transition and it just occurred to me that in what we consider major life events there's usually some kind of rite of passage or, or observance of that mm -hmm. and maybe in true Zen fashion we make a rite of passage out of every morning <laughs> you know this moment and now it's that moment it was night and now it's day mm -hmm. yeah I like that and that that's something that I I've appreciated in the early morning sit that isn't necessarily the same um, with sits at other times. Yes, definitely. You know, we used to have our retreats, Not, I mean, we've done all kinds of different things here, I'm sure, over the years, but sometimes we've had retreats that start at 8 o'clock in the morning after breakfast, and then they go to like 9 or 8 or 6 or something like that, right? But we've recently, in the last couple of years, We've resurrected the practice of starting our retreats at 6 a.m. and having Oriyoki breakfast. And I think they've com they're a completely different feeling because of what you're talking about. Because of having that transitional space of going from dark where you're kind of fuzzy and you haven't quite put on your ego yet, maybe. <laughs> right? You're, you're in, a, in a, a murky state, not quite completely woken up. And you also haven't said it. Yeah, maybe you haven't looked at your phone yet. Yeah, haven't spoken words. Said words or received like images so much that so you're kind of like groping around in the dark and you plop yourself down on the cushion and you're just like on this wall, right? And it's watching the light, I, I totally agree. Having the light change over the span, there is a sense of uh, gravitas. <laughs> In, in being there for the, for the dawn, right? Which, by the way, just as a reminder, tomorrow is daylight savings. So uh, when people do come in the morning, I think it will just, maybe it will start getting light. It's been completely dark, even at the end of Zazen, 
uh, in the mornings. But starting this week, uh, we'll actually have the, it'll be bright when we leave, which it hasn't been in a while. Anyone else? We've got a container. We've got transition. We've got gravity. I like cool. the early morning repentance. It's like a, the first thing that you say during the day is all my ancient twisted karma. I'm not fully about. Aside from the, the other uh, guys I get at the The rope chant. Um, yeah. yeah, the rope chant. Uh, the kind of the first things. Actually, I mean, the rope chant almost feels like a repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like a it feels like an opening, um, just like a kind of thing. <laughs> it's very nice to have. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to uh, a, uh, a teacher who has been here many, many times, uh, Koji Dreher. Just talking with him yesterday, and he's been in school at the City of Ten Thousand Buddhas uh, Buddhist University. Um, but he was talking about his own path and what he's aiming towards, what he would like, what would feel nourishing for him in his life. You know, he's, he's very, uh, he's quite brilliant, Koji, and um, he knows himself pretty well, I think. Um, but he was talking about, you know, being a city monk and how difficult it is to be a monk in the city. And how he just kind of yearns for a country, a country bumpkin lifestyle. Something, and what he said was, I really want, I think you'd be fine with me sharing this. He said, I really want to be able to be somewhere in nature where I can put my robes on every day. So, for those of you who don't have robes or don't wear robes, I think that what you're talking about of this kind of morning ritual, of like the first words that you say being uh, a form of, um, used to use the word repentance, but um, vow. manifestation of a vow, stating some intention, right, of a containing, kind of a gathering, right? When we sit sashin, sashin is literally a gathering the heart-mind, right? It's a time of being in retreat, meaning that we put aside our day job, <laughs> or are, you know, the sort of day-to-day -day frustrations that we may have. We put aside social obligations and we gather the, our heart and mind to the exclusion of all these other things, right? And being coming in in the morning or any time and sitting is kind of a mini version of that, right? Where you come in and you don't come in with your day timer and start planning your appointment. I mean, maybe you do. <laughs> I mean, in, internally, without even realizing it. And then you catch yourself and you say, oh, no, this isn't the time to do that. I'm going to let that go and just be with myself here and this community. Right? So, yeah. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So, when, uh, how many of you think of yourselves as introverted? Oh, not as many people as uh, oftentimes. All right, how many of you think of yourselves as extroverted? A couple. Mm -hmm. The introverts might be too shy to raise their hands. <laughs> yeah. Can we do a secret ballot? <laughs> a secret ballot. <laughs> well, all everyone is welcome. Introverts, extroverts, and those who are uh, undecided or too shy, or or it depends on on what time of the day you ask. Right. <laughs>
So that's where we are in our current practice period. We're in this, um, taking up these very kind of non-Zen practices, actually, I would say, right? In Zen practice, Zazen is actually letting go of trying to do anything and just be there for whatever it is that's happening in the moment, right? So all this kind of mind training part these are exercises that we're taking up for this practice period. I think it's been fantastic, right? very fruitful, very beautiful. And it's, I think it's also really lovely to do for us as a community that oftentimes when we practice zazen, we're actually practicing not doing, right? So taking up things and doing them as practice provides a nice um, uh, counterpoint. Uh, it's just a contrast. Nice contrast, right? But actually, like, being able to do that and then come back to just sitting. So when we just sit, we just sit. And then we might take up a practice. And because we've... Come, we've um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Because we've let go of agendas... When we come up with an agenda, I think it has it, it can fall into this still pool, and we can see its its ripples. Whereas in a busy life where things are happening like all the time and there's no quiet space, taking up a practice may just you know um, bounce off of everything else and just become part of the noise, right? So having that stillness, the then taking up a practice in, I think it's really it's been really. Uh, I've found it very lovely so far, this practice period. And we're about to head into our mid-practice period weekend retreat, which is next weekend. I should probably, I don't know if you made an announcement about the Dharma talk. We will be having a public Dharma talk during that retreat for on Saturday, but we won't have any tea and cookies afterwards, um, at least not for the non-retreatants. <laughs> the rest of us may have a cookie sometime, sometime <laughs> in the day. Um, but we'll be, we'll be, uh, so we'll, we'll be open just for the, the sit. There'll be an informal sit, I believe, across the street and a regular sit at 9.15. And then we'll have a Dharma talk. And then we'll, the people who are in the retreat will go into the rest of the day of retreat while everyone else can go do whatever they feel like doing <laughs> for the rest of the day. And we'll be getting up a little bit, uh, a little bit later, and welcoming the sun at the end of our sits in the morning. So I hope to see you, for those of you who can make it for the weekend retreat or for the Dharma talk next week. And uh, even if you're not in the practice period, I encourage you to take a look at some of these mind trainings, invite them into your life, and see. Uh, See what happens when you take up a slogan for a day. Write it on your arm so that you just kind of notice it throughout the day, maybe. Anyway, thank you very much.